Hello, welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Cubs PS Plus is now part of the Bleacher Bunch Network, joining great shows like the Sun Ranto Show, Cup of Cubby Blue, and Baseball Rabbit Hole. The Bleacher Bunch Network is available wherever you find your podcasts, and Cubs PS Plus is always available ad-free to Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Cubs PS Plus, where you can support the show and always find a variety of benefits starting for as little as a dollar a month. In addition to the podcast feeds, you can also find me on Twitter or X, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. Love the pot or hate it, please drop a review wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe you can share an episode with a friend. A quick addendum to this podcast, while I was recording, the Cubs made the Hector Neris deal official, and it was Michael Rucker that was designated for assignment. Throughout this episode, I talk about the moves the Cubs are going to have to make and who's potentially on the chopping block, and I had I did have Michael Rucker at the top of that list, so I'm sad to see Michael Rucker go, but I think it was kind of the obvious decision. So I get into more of those thoughts throughout the episode, but I wanted to lay that out up top that, that of course, that news happened while I was recording. Welcome into episode 67, the Alfonso Rivas episode. I always liked Rivas, who were number 67 for the Cubs in 2021 and 2022. I may have to stop liking him for a while, though, now that he was claimed off waivers this week by the Cardinals. The Cubs roster is slowly but surely coming together. The Cubs still have questions and holes on the roster, but they've now added a quality starting pitcher in Shota Imanaga, a lefty bat in Michael Bush, and two relievers capable of picking up leverage innings, Hector Neris and Yancey Almonte. Despite the additions and the overall increase in talent at the bottom of the 40-man roster, the Cubs are going to have some really interesting questions and choices to make this spring. Will the Cubs get Cody Bellinger or Matt Chapman? Who seems destined for the opening day roster? Let's dig in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. So it's February 1st. Baseball's going to start in a couple weeks. Pitchers and catchers are going to report. A week or so after that, everybody reports, and we are going to have baseball games this month. It's so close, and yet this roster is still so far from what I think the finished product is going to be. I mean, we're still on daily Cody Bellinger watch every day. Jacob Zanola on Twitter posts, you know, it'd be today would be a great day to sign Cody Bellinger. Every day I see Cody Bellinger's name trending. Every day I see Matt Chapman's name trending. And there's a big free agent target still out there that we've been talking about all offseason. Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, and J.D. Martinez are some of the big ones out there. They're all Scott Boris clients. I saw a story this week, I forget where I saw it, but that speculating that Scott Boris may start his own rent-a-field and start his own Scott Boris spring training complex for the guys that haven't signed yet. And it's wild. And I look at this roster, and what I want to talk about today is really breaking down what this roster might look like as the season starts, but this roster could still go a lot of different ways, depending on who the Cubs sign. And what we have seen so far, we've seen a bunch of the Cubs got a reliever. They got Hector Neris, who I think is going to be a nice addition to that bullpen. He's a guy who could close. He's closed in the past in Philly. He's been a big leverage guy for Houston the last couple of years. Last year, he really developed a split and that was really, really nasty. And I think that's a, you know, relievers are volatile, so we'll see what he can do. But he's a guy that's got a solid track record. I mean, last year he spiked. That was the best year of his career by far. But he also developed a new pitch. So I think that I think that new pitch still plays. Whether he has the level of success he had last year or not, 
I don't know, but it's another arm in the bullpen. And the Cubs have stacked up some interesting uh, minor league contracts that we'll talk about here in a few minutes, and that will play in a roster construction too. But right now we look at, there are really three positional holes the Cubs have right now I think pretty much everybody's in agreement on. They don't have a clear answer at third base. They don't necessarily have a clear answer at first base. And they don't have a clear answer in center field. They have candidates for each one of those positions. There are guys on the roster right now, if the Cubs do nothing more, that can fill those spots and may be able to fill them very well. But which guys make the opening day roster will really depend on which guys get signed. So let's walk through, first of all, the biggest rumored targets. And so the biggest rumored targets, obviously, is Cody Bellinger is number one. He's the one guy I think... Most Cub fans are pretty much in agreement on wanting to get back. You know, he's, he was a big part of their offense last year. He's a really good defender, good athlete, versatile. He can play all three outfield positions. He can play first base. He could DH. Just a really valuable player. And even if he doesn't hit as well as he did last year, there are some reasons to think his numbers might come down a little bit. He still has that big power. I mean, last year he hit, what, 26 home runs, I think. Let me take a quick look. And he did that in... Yeah, last year, Cody hit 26 home runs. And he did that while, you know, missing a month. I mean, he played 130 games. And so there's, even if he doesn't hit 300 like he did last year, if he goes back to even some of his form from Los Angeles, I mean, he's he's going to hit 20, 25, 30 home runs with potential for even more power than that. So he's obviously a guy. The Cubs are very right-handed heavy, and he brings a strong lefty bat, can play a bunch of different positions, was loved in the clubhouse. I think he likes Chicago. Like it, He's the one guy that makes sense. Everybody wants him back. Obviously, Scott Boris and the Cubs have not gotten close on price yet, or else I think this deal would be done. There was a report out this week that Chapman and Montgomery and Bellinger have all had no formal offers submitted this offseason, and that the one Boris client left that did get an offer was Blake Snell. And Blake was looking for nine years, $270 million, and got a six-year, $150 million off, offer from the Yankees. I think the lack of an offer is a little bit overblown. I'm, I'm, I don't know the ins and outs of these discussions, but there's, especially when it was specified as a formal offer, there are formalities that go into this. So there's legal paperwork, there's all the attachments and incentives and all the final gory details of the contract, option years, no trades, all those kinds of things. So to not have a formal offer doesn't necessarily surprise me. I'm sure Jed Hoyer, Carter Hawkins have talked to Scott Boris, and there have been numbers thrown from both sides. I'm sure uh, Scott and Cody have given the Cubs a number, and I'm sure the Cubs have given them a number. And they will continue to go back and forth either until somebody else offers a number that Cody Bellinger likes, or they eventually meet in the middle somewhere. But so he's the big one. The next one is Matt Chapman. There's been a lot of talk about Matt Chapman. I've I've talked about Matt Chapman and my position on him is cooling a little bit. In the beginning of free agency, I was dead set against Matt Chapman. He had he really struggled the second half of the last season, although his batted ball numbers were really good. His contact was way up, his barrel rate was way up. You know, I think he hit into some bad luck. But he's also a guy who's not a superstar. He's a very good player, but he's not a superstar at a position that would pretty much lock up the Cubs infield in terms of second base, shortstop, third base um, for a long time if he were to get like a five or six year deal. So at that point, you know, I I would never say don't sign Matt Chapman because James Triantos or Matt Shaw or some of these guys are coming. But 
I wouldn't sign him for five or six years. But he's been out there long enough. If if his market was five or six years, I don't know if he'd be signed specifically because you know he's a Scott Boris client. But my guess is, if that market was out there, there's a pretty good chance he'd already be signed. So I think his whatever he's hanging on, either money or gears or both, are coming down. The longer this drags on, the shorter contract he's probably going to get. And if the Cubs could get him for one, two, three years. Now you had a really good defensive third baseman who's got power. He's got doesn't have massive power. He's not going to hit 40 home runs, but he's going to fall into that kind of Dansby, Ian Happ category where he's going to put up probably pretty solid general offensive numbers, get you between you know 20 and 30 home runs, and he's going to maybe give the Cubs the best infield defense in baseball. Yeah, he's won a Gold Glove at third base. Combine that with Dansby and Nico Horner, and that's a really good place to start. So, you know, if that's something the Cubs want to do and that's length of that contract comes in, I fully support it. So I've changed a little bit on him, but I, I still wouldn't want him for, you know, that five, six year contract length, maybe not even four. I think the Cubs are done with the starting rotation at this point, but I'm sure they're going to continue to listen if Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, if their prices come down enough or you can get them on a short deal. At some point, if you don't, if you're a big free agent and you think this is your shot at a payday, and the market's just not there this year. Sometimes the answer is to go get a two, three-year deal with an opt-out for pretty solid average annual value. It's a lot less risk to the team, even if it is a big number, like Cody Bellinger. Maybe he doesn't get the seven, eight-year deal he was reported to be looking at heading into the offseason. Maybe he signs a three- or four-year deal with an AAV up around th- That would be a really nice raise for him. He's still only 28, so you could still put in, you know, an opt-out, and he could still potentially hit free agency again at, you know, 29 or 30 with performance. And I think another good year would really solidify his market. So I think that may be where we see Cody Bellinger go, might be where Matt Chapman has to go. I, I think same with Snell and Montgomery. Like I said, I think the Cubs are done with starting pitching, and we'll walk through that in a minute. But if one of those guys falls cheap enough, I mean, add Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery to this rotation and, and – you're cooking with gas. I mean, that that would be a really good place to be. I also think the Cubs might be done with uh, relief pitchers at this point, other than adding more minor league contracts. But Ryan Stanek was rumored to the Cubs. He's still out there. Maybe he's a guy that the Cubs uh, could get. But the first big question coming up now, before we really get into what the major league roster, the 26-man roster looks like on opening day, is what's going to happen with the 40-man roster? So, it's pretty common. It's been pretty common for Jed in the offseason to carry that 40 man roster at like 38, 39 people. That way, if you see somebody interesting on waivers, like when the Cubs got Julian Mayweather last, Merriweather last year, they can go and get him, have a spot pretty quick, pretty easy to deal with. They've been at 40 pretty much, not the whole offseason, but they've been at 40 for a while. And they just agreed to terms with Hector Neris. I haven't seen the move formally announced. He's not formally on the roster yet. So kind of waiting to see who ha- who goes. Now what we may see is we may see some trades because one thing that's happened over the last, you know, last couple of years as Jed has, you know, sometimes people mock it, but Jed talks a lot about raising the floor and it's very clear that he has raised the floor on this roster. It used to be at any point, you know, over the last couple of years, I could look at the roster and, easily come up with like three to five guys that not that they don't have value or aren't potentially interesting, but just 
didn't appear to ever be difference makers that like, okay, if you get somebody good, this guy can go, that guy can go. And it's hard now. I mean, I think probably, you know, when I, when I look at the roster and the 40 man roster, there are a bunch of young kids that they've added and they've added, you know, guys like Michael Arias and Bailey Horn, you know, those guys are probably not going to get DFA because they're guys who are probably going to get claimed. A lot of them were added to the roster to protect them from the rule five draft. So the Cubs were worried at that point about another team grabbing them off the roster. So, I mean, the guys I see as candidates for being designated for assignment for the purpose of either being released or maybe traded for cash, you know, the list is getting shorter. I think Michael Rucker is probably on that list. He's thrown some good innings for the Cubs over the last couple of years. You know, he's, he's a capable major league pitcher who, if the Cubs did DFA him, I'm sure he would get claimed. He's going to wind up in somebody's bullpen in 2024. Caleb Killian, who came over with Alexander Canario in the Chris Bryant trade from the Giants. He is a guy who looked really exciting as a starting pitcher. Tore it up when he first came over from the Giants. That had a bunch of control issues, command issues. And he was a guy that had always gotten by on command. And so for that to disappear was a little concerning. And he's he's been up. He's had a few starts. I think the last time he pitched for the Cubs last year, he gave up something like seven runs in the first inning. And... I was impressed. He, after that first inning, he was able to battle back, and I think he still got through four or four and two-thirds. And it just it showed he battled, and he did make some pitches after that. He's a guy I'm kind of interested in. Like At this point, with the guys the Cubs have coming up, I'm not sure he's really going to get another chance to start in Chicago. But he's a guy that still has some good raw stuff. And if he can you know, command matters a little bit less as a relief pitcher because you can just dial your – you dial back your pitches. You don't need four or five pitches as a reliever. You're coming in, you're going to throw hard, max effort, and rely on your raw stuff. <clears throat> Apologies for the voice. I'm still kind of fighting through whatever cold I had after a Cubs con. So I think he's interesting in the bullpen, but he's also a guy that, you know, has not had, has not taken advantage of the chances he's gotten. As we go down the list, now we're talking about Brennan Davis. I mean, th- this was unthinkable two years ago. He was a top 25 prospect in baseball by some lists. But he had those back injuries. I have heard that he's healthy now. So if that's true, he's still 24. He still has tons of baseball skill. He's a really good baseball player. And if he's fully healthy, maybe it's time he he's going to get another shot. But he's also, you kind of have to wonder how long you can hold a guy like that on the roster if if there are questions about his health. Now, maybe he's a guy that you could get through waivers and, you know, assign back to the minor leagues. So I think once you start putting a guy like Brendan Davis on the list, like you just don't have a lot of filler, a lot of sort of flack space on the uh, slack space on the roster at this point. After that, you're talking about Keegan Thompson, who was really good in 2022. Struggled a lot last year, had a couple injuries, spent some time back in Iowa. And then you get to guys who actually really contributed last year down the stretch. I mean, Miles Mastroboni is not always the fan favorite. But, you know, you you start adding, depending on what the Cubs add, if they add Bellinger and Chapman and a pitcher, you suddenly have to, you know, clear out four guys accounting for the guy you have to clear out for Naris. And so maybe a guy like Mastroboni does hit that list. Now, he's a guy who played really well in the second half. I mean, you know, he really showed some pop. He played good defense. He filled it in third base when Nick Madrigal was hurt. He's got good speed. He's a really good utility bench player. He can play six positions. He can play, he can play the outfield. He can play short. He can play second. He can play third. 
And so he's a guy that you want a guy like that on your team, whether whether it's Miles Mastroboni or not. Somebody who's going to fill that role for the Cubs this year. And if he goes, gets designated for assignment and goes on waivers, I'm sure somebody's going to claim him, or maybe maybe there's a trade. And the next one is Mark Leiter Jr. You know, I, he was huge for the Cubs last year, coming out of the bullpen, relying on that nasty splitter. He was kind of the Cubs' lefty specialist for a while when they had no lefty in the bullpen. It's kind of unthinkable to think that he might be on a cut list, but depending on what they do and what they add, those are some of the decisions that are going to have to be made. So let's take a step back at this point. So we don't know what the Cubs are going to add. So let's talk about what we do know about the Cubs. And let's start with the starting rotation. I think we would all agree, whatever order, I think we would all agree that Justin Steele's at the top. Justin Steele's locked into a rotation spot. Jamison Tyone is locked into a rotation spot. Shorta Imanaga is locked into a rotation spot, and Kyle Hendricks is almost certainly locked into a rotation spot. So at the moment, there is a fifth spot if they were to sign Snell or Montgomery. And then at that point, I mean, that rotation would be pretty deep. Let's say it was Montgomery. You wind up with Steele, Montgomery, Tyone, Imanaga, and Hendricks. You know, that with Montgomery, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty salty unit. So if the Cubs don't sign anybody, you know, you look at that, last starting pitcher spot. And you're going to want to start with guys who are on the 40-man roster. I don't think... uh, Cade Horton is in play this year, but I really don't think he'll be in play starting at opening day. I think when you factor in, you know, just one season of pro ball last year, the fact that he's likely on an innings cap of 120 to 130, I think they're probably going to, talked about this before, either start him slow or put him on some shorter starts in the minors. But, you know, if he really kills it in spring training, maybe he doesn't start in the rotation. Maybe they kind of keep his innings down by throwing him out of the bullpen in some, you know, multi-inning, in a multi-inning role for a while and then stretch him out. But I'm going to set him to the side. He's not on the 40-man roster, so to be added, somebody else would have to go. When you look at the 40-man roster, the candidates that I see are Javier Assad, Ben Brown, Jordan Wicks, potentially Caleb Killian, Hayden Wisniewski, and of those guys, probably Jordan Wicks is the guy that I would probably look at as maybe the favorite. I've said, though, that I don't, I'm not done with the idea of Hayden Wisniewski as a starter. At CubsCon, Craig Council said he was excited to see Wisniewski and see what he could do, so he may be in consideration for that role. Javier Assad has started for stretches at times and looked really, really good. So there are just a lot of options there, and I think the best, what I would do is really just throw it out and have an open competition and see who wins the job. The nice thing is there are some, you know, there's some good options there. I think all of those guys have options left. So Wicks, Wesneski, Killian, and Assad could all be sent back to Iowa. So they may make a decision, let's say Wicks wins it. What do you want to do with Assad? Do you want him in the major league bullpen or do you want him staying at Iowa stretched out, ready to, to be a starter? Same with Wesneski. Is he going to start in Iowa or is he going to be in the major league bullpen? I think when you look at the bullpen then, you know, a, a few roles I think are set. Edward Azale is going to start as the closer. I think at this point, unless there's some big trade for Emmanuel Classe or, or somebody like that, I think it's pretty clear the Cubs are going to start with him as the closer. Closer. You wind up with Hector Neris, slotted in there as a late-inning guy once he gets added to the 40-man. And then you've got Julian Merriweather. We'll see if he can repeat what he did last year. He's never done it before, but the Cubs really, I think, unlocked some stuff. And I think what we saw last year was 
you know, whether he can be that good again or not, I don't know. But I think we saw a guy who's got the stuff to be a major league reliever. We're going to see Drew Smiley out there. The Cubs are paying him with the accelerators he got last year, I think something like 12 or $13 million this year. I mean, they're not just going to cut him. He's been very good out of the bullpen his whole career. Like He was a major part of that 2021 Braves bullpen when they went and won the World Series. And then Almonte is a guy that he's been up and down with the Dodgers. He was not very good last year, but he was great in 2022. He came over the Michael Bush trade. And, you know, he's a good example of what I'm going to spend some time talking about, too, the, the idea of options. So every major league player, when they first come up, they have what are called three option years. And that means an option is when you're on the 40-man roster and you're sent to the minor leagues. So if you're if you've never been added to the 40-man roster, options aren't in play. Like Kate Horton getting assigned to Double A AA or Triple A to start the season doesn't require an option because he's not been on the 40-man. But some guys like Alexander Canario, who's been on the 40-man roster since the since the trade, he's been optioned now three times. He said three different years where he got options in the minor leagues, and that means he has no options left. So the Cubs option, the Cubs choices, I'll use the blurring term, with guys that have no options left are to either put them on the active opening day roster or you have to do something with them. You have to try to get them, designate them for assignment, to put them on waivers, maybe hoping they'll clear waivers and you can add them to the minor leagues. Or they can be traded. Or if a team claims them, you can just let that player go. And... Canario is interesting. I think he looks like he's he's certainly ready for a shot. Is he ready to hit major league pitching? I mean, he's sure so he sure showed signs of it when he got the call up in September last year. So I think, you know, that really plays into the roster construction too. So which guys have options? And when we go to the starting pitching, technically Justin Steele has options left, but that's not going to matter. I mean, he's he's a legitimate major league starter, you know, front half of the rotation guy no matter how you slice it. So I don't think that's really going to matter. Edward Alzale is out of options, but again, like he's shown he's a major league reliever at this point, and I don't think he's a guy that you would have on that Iowa Des Moines shuttle. Um, Julian Merriweather has no options. Drew Smiley has no options. Hector Neris has no options, and Almonte has no options. So the Cubs are likely going to carry 13 pitchers, which is the max allowed under the current CBA. They're going to have five starting pitchers, I would presume. And so that leaves eight bullpen spots. And I just named off one, two, three, four, five guys who are all likely to be in the bullpen, none of whom have options remaining. So those are guys that are going to be in the major leagues until you decide to put them on waivers, at which point, you know, you're opening up the possibility of losing them for sure. So you look at the last few spots and I think Jose Quas is probably a guy who's probably going to make the opening day bullpen, but he does have options. So the, he could go down to Iowa at some point. He could start in Iowa. He could get sent down at any point this year. Now, for those, they're called option years. You can go up and down in a single year as many times as you want. It doesn't matter. It burns one option year. I think Quas has one left. So I think if, if the Cubs do send him to the minors this year, that would be his last option year, and he would have no options left in 2025. But of the guys I've named, Javier Saad has options. Ben Brown has options. Killian has options. Mark Leiter Jr. does not have options, which is one of the reasons why I put him on a candidate for being designated for assignment. He's a guy who's going to have to be up in Chicago 
or probably he's a guy they might be more likely to trade than just outright release, but you know, he has no options going up and down with Iowa is not an option. Luke Little has options. Daniel Palencia, Michael Rucker still has options. That might actually work in his favor if, when they start making decisions. Keegan Thompson has options, as do Wisniewski and, and Jordan Wicks. So as you build out the bullpen, you know over the course of a season they're going to be injured. Injuries don't really play into option years, but um, there are going to be injuries. There are going to be guys who don't perform. There will always be, you know, stretches of games where you know, you're playing a bunch of close games, maybe you have a couple extra inning games in close proximity, and there are always going to be guys that go up and down to kind of ride that Iowa-Des Moines shuttle or uh, Iowa-Chicago shuttle. So, you know, with the five guys I named, Azalea, Merriweather, Smiley, Neris, and Amante, that's one left-hander, a closer, and then some guys who can fill in, you know, late innings. And so that leaves three spots. I would guess Jose Quas is probably going to get one of those spots. But he's another right-hander. So if you start looking at the lefties, you got Luke Little and Bailey Horn. And that's really about it for guys who would be, you know, serious contenders for that bullpen. I think there's a very, very good chance that Luke Little makes the opening day roster. So if I add Quas and Little, that leaves one spot. Now, Daniel Palencia had some command issues last year. You know, the one spot might go to lighter. So that might the, the starting opening day bullpen might be Azale, Merriweather, Smiley, Neris, Amante, Quas, Little, and Lighter. Lighter and Neris with that splitter are both right-handed, but that, that pitch plays really well against lefties. So that would give you, you know, up to four options against tough left-handers. But what's also interesting is the Cubs have been stacking up minor league contracts, and every team does this. And there's nothing more amusing when I see the you know the Cubs sign some minor league sign some reliever to a minor league contract with a camp invite. And, you know, people like to go mock it on social media. Oh, the season is saved. But when you look through, you know, the Cubs have been pretty active in that market since the beginning of the offseason. They signed Edwin Escobar, who's a left-hander. Alberto, so let's go through the lefties they've signed. They've signed Edwin Escobar. They've signed Jeremy Guzman. Now Escobar was pitching in Japan last year. Had a good season over there. They signed Jeremy Guzman as a left-hander. Thomas Pannone. Maybe it's Pannone, I'm not sure. They signed Richard Lovelady this week, along with Blake Wyman. So those are some guys that, you know, left-handed options. You know, the Cubs did that last year. There have been guys they bring in every year and see if they win win a contract. That's where the Cubs got Mike Talkman last year. He came in on a minor league contract and eventually made it up. <clears throat> For right-handers, they signed Alberto Chala, Colton Brewer, who's very interesting. Ethan Roberts, who had made the opening day roster in 2022 before having Tommy John surgery, so I'm, I'm glad to have him back in the fold. Old favorite, Carl Edwards Jr., who was with the Cubs when they won the championship in 2016. You know, He struggled after that championship season, and the Cubs wound up trading him to the Padres. He wound up pitching for the Nationals and had a really good year last year, so I'm excited to see him back. He was always a guy I like to watch pitch, so I'm really rooting hard for him this offseason or in spring training. And then Sam McWilliams, and then, ironically enough, Brad Wick, who was traded, the guy the Cubs got for Carl Edwards Jr. with that trade in San Diego. Wick's had a huge run of injuries, but he's back on a minor league deal, and he's a really big guy who's got some really interesting stuff, and if he can get back healthy, then he's a guy that could potentially play out of that bullpen. 
But when we're looking at those guys, maybe somebody will pitch well enough in spring training to force them force their way onto the opening day roster. A lot of these deals, either the Cubs are looking at something specific, like Sam McWilliams has not pitched. He's been out of baseball for like a year and a half, but he went to a you know pitching event trying to show, trying to get back in the game, and the Cubs saw something they liked. So I, you know, I'm not entirely sure what it is, but there's probably one pitch they really think that they can exploit and you know get a lot out of and so they're going to give guys the shot and so some of the guys just won't pan out and they'll get released at some point during spring training some of them will also get assigned to iowa now a lot of these contracts come now carl Edwards juniors may come this way a lot of times they'll come with a clause that uh, is basically an opt-out for the player like if they're not on a 40-man roster by opening day or may 1st or june 1st they have the chance to opt, opt for free agency it just gives a player a choice to, you know, I'm going to take a shot with this team, but if it doesn't work out, I don't want to just get stuck in their minor league system. I want a chance to go try to catch on somewhere else. So I don't know the deals of those contracts. So that could also drive it too. Like let's say, <clears throat> say Carl Edwards Jr. has a clause in his contract that he can opt for free agency if he's not on the opening day roster. And he goes and lights out in spring training. Like that might force, force his way on and force him to make a decision on a different player. So it's going to be really interesting to watch those guys and see who pops and see who doesn't. And then also with, you know, guys the Cubs have added to the 40-man that probably aren't going to get opening day shots, but maybe they will. You know, Michael Arias, Porter Hodge, Bailey Horn. Horn came over from the White Sox in the Ryan Tapera trade. There was a point last year where it looked like he might be one of the next arms coming up from Iowa. And then he had some struggles in the second half of the season. Daniel Palencia, if he can regain his command. So they're going to have some options. There are also some other guys who are already, you know, Already at Iowa, you know, Cam Sanders, maybe maybe he finds his command and, you know, cuts that walk rate down and his his stuff is tremendous. So he's another guy who could force his way up. But that's going to go into the pitching decision. So if I, if I was going to predict today, I'm going to predict probably Steele, Tyone, Imanaga, Hendricks, and Wicks as the starting rotation. And Azalai, Merriweather, Smiley, Neris, Almonte. I think I'm going to rethink Quas. I think Quas might actually start Either Quas or Little will probably start in Iowa because I think they're going to want to give Hayden Wisniewski some run in the bullpen unless they decide he's going to be a starter in, in AAA. And then I think we'll see you know either Little or Quas plus Wisniewski. And, if, you know, unless a trade happens, I think we're going to see Mark Leiter Jr. in the bullpen too. And with Smiley and <coughs> – excuse me. I guess Assad could be flipped with Wisniewski too. I think one of those two guys will take a spot. And that will give Smiley and either Assad or Wisniewski give two guys in the bullpen that can go stretch out and throw multiple innings. And I think that's that's a really valuable role for the Cubs. And the cool thing about this bullpen is we'll see if it's great. Bullpens are fickle and, you know, they vary wide performance varies widely from year to year, but that's a lot of guys who have done it before. And even if it's only for one year, like Alzale and Merriweather only did it last year, but they've done it. Naris has done it a couple places. You know, Amante's had his moments in the past. Drew Smiley's been productive. And I think this is starting to look like a bullpen, especially, you know, being run by a guy like Craig Council, who's shown very strong ability to manage a successful bullpen. This bullpen's looking deep. I think it could very well wind up being one of those bullpens that becomes a strength uh, for the Cubs as the season goes on. So let's take a flip over to the position side. So 26-man roster in the major leagues. 13 pitchers max, you're going to carry 13 position players. Right off the top, you know you're going to have eight starting positions in the field. You know you're going to carry at least two catchers. 
And then after that, you know, you could have a dedicated DH or you can, you know, rotate guys around or whatever through DH, which is typically what the Cubs have done. And at the moment, I don't think they have a clear, obvious DH on the roster unless that's where Christopher Morrell gets assigned. But one of the things that I criticized a lot last year was roster construction. And the bullpen had its issues. It didn't figure out its its way for a while. But I thought the bigger flaws were on the position player side. You know, the Cubs started the season with three catchers. Jan Gomes, Tucker Barnhart, and Luis Torrens. And I know Torrens got a lot of criticism. But again, like when we talk about those option years, those option years matter. Torrens was a guy the Cubs brought into spring training. He had a good spring. And he looked interesting. But he didn't have any options. So the sending him to Iowa or just assigning him to Iowa was not an option. They had to either DFAM hope to sneak him through and put him in Iowa or lose him. And so they made the decision, let's put him up and see what he can do. But then, of course, Ross never played him, so it really didn't matter. Obviously, that they, they had the whole Hosmer Mancini thing. But I think the the other one of the other big flaws was outfield. You know, Seiya Suzuki started the season hurt. He missed about the first month. And the Cubs left camp with two outfielders. They had Ian Happ and Cody Bellinger. And then they were hoping to fill out the rest of the outfield innings with Trey Mancini and Miles Mastroboni. Miles can play the outfield, but he's not a starting level outfielder. Like he's a guy that can go fill in for a game if somebody's hurt. He can go, you know, shift out there during a game if there's a matchup thing. Like he's capable of doing it, but he's instinctively and naturally an infielder. Mancini's played some outfield in the past, but like having those two fill, try to fill say a Suzuki spot was just flawed from the start, especially when what we eventually saw from Mike Talkman, you know, he's down in triple A. The other head scratcher was Edwin Rios. The Cubs picked him up from the Dodgers. And again, just like Luis Torrens, he had no options. So it was either put him in the, put him on the roster for his power or let him go. And the reality is Torrens and Rios never played. I mean, they, they played, but they played so little. It, you didn't even get a good read on them. So they were taking up roster spots, not playing while you're giving too much run to Hosmer and Mancini. You're putting, you know, Madrigal. Madrigal actually looked really good at third base. I will give him a ton of credit for last year, but Ma- Mastroboni putting him so much in right field. You're just not putting guys in position to succeed. And so then that turns fan sentiment and, you know, it was just, it was a rough first two months. They, they looked, they looked okay in April. I think they went 14, 13 in April and then they went 10 and 18 in May and it just looked like disaster. And they started June poorly. And I think a big part of it was a position player roster decisions. So as we head into this year, I think there are several that are obvious. They're going to carry two catchers. I can't imagine at this point, barring injury, that it's not Jan Gomes and Miguel Amaya. Now, Miguel Amaya is interesting this year. You know, last year was his major league debut. He had stretches where he looked really good. I think he's going to be a solid catcher. I think hopefully by the second half of the season, he's emerging as the number one catcher for the Cubs. But he has no options. So if he comes up and struggles, the Cubs are either going to have to deal with it or, you know, try to trade him or, or get him through waivers. And now on that front, the Cubs have stacked up a number of minor league contract guys at the catcher position, they signed out Ivan, Ivan Cespedes, Jorge Alfaro, Joe Hudson, and then they still have Bryce Windham in Iowa, who, you know, probably is about ready to get a shot if the opportunity arises. 
But I think they'll start with those two. First base is a little bit unsettled, but at second base, you got Nico Horner. Dansby Swanson's going to play short. Ian Hapson left, and Seiya Suzuki's in right field. At the moment, maybe Mike Talkman is the starting center fielder, but he's at least probably the fourth outfielder. Christopher Morrell is in the mix somewhere. He's definitely going to be on the major league team. And I think after the trade for Michael Bush, I'm pretty sure he'll be up too. So right now, I've kind of got both of those guys kind of slotted utility bench. Not that either one would necessarily be bench, but like Morrell, if the Cubs don't sign Chapman, maybe Morrell gets a long look at third base. Otherwise, he's probably DH or he's kind of a just super sub, basically playing every day, but shifting positions around. Michael Bush, you know, maybe today would be slotted in at first base. But again, he could be DH. But that leaves one, two, three, four open roster spots. I haven't included any infield depth. I think we're definitely going to see... This, for me, is where things get weird. Because if the Cubs make no more moves, we're probably going to see Nick Madrigal, Patrick Wisdom... Miles Mastroboni and probably Canario as those next four spots in. <clears throat> I know there's going to be a push, and I'm sure Pete Armstrong is going to get the opportunity to win the center field job as, as a spring training. But Canario is a really interesting case because I think they really, I think they still really like him. He has massive power potential. He did an amazing job coming back from a really devastating injury during winter ball in, 20, in like November 2022. But he has no options left. So the Cubs are probably either going to trade him in the next few weeks or he's going to be on the opening day roster. So that takes up a spot. Maybe he gets a shot to start in center field with PCA down starting the season in Iowa. But where I struggle is I don't think it makes sense to carry Patrick Wisdom and Nick Madrigal and Miles Mastroboni. I think of those three, I think Wisdom gets a little bit of preference because he's got power that neither of the other two have. And I think Miles Mastroboni is a better utility infielder than Nick Madrigal because he's more versatile. He can play more positions. He could play shortstop. So if Nico or Dansby get hurt, you know, Dansby gets hurt, obviously Horner's switching over to shortstop. But then at that point, you know, who's the backup shortstop? You know, it's probably, you'd want it to be Miles Mastroboni or somebody like him. Now the Cubs also put... Luis Vasquez on the 40-man roster. So, again, that's where I put Mastroboni on my list for potential, you know, movement candidates because now they've got Luis Vasquez who can play an excellent shortstop. So maybe Vasquez takes that that role on the team. <clears throat> but I think I think you want to give Morel some run at third base unless they sign Chapman. And I think just the, the wisdom... Madrigal platoon just doesn't make sense. So I, I still think we're going to see trades. It would not surprise me at all to see Madrigal or Wisdom traded, or potentially both. I think we're going to see Mike Talkman in the outfield. But how that roster gets constructed now, especially, you know, you've got Matt Shaw and James Triantos, who Triantos probably isn't going to come up this year, but I think we'll see Matt Shaw at some point this year, as long as he's performing in the minors. But what do the Cubs do? So if, if we assume the Cubs sign Cody Bellinger, there's a pretty good chance maybe he slots into center field. Center field or first base. So it gives you a PCA hedge. But then, you know, if he slots to center field and you put Michael Bush at first base, 
then do you go with Talkman and lose Canario? Or do you, you know, Mike Talkman does not have options left, so he's in the same boat as Canario. Like, one of them is up and one or both of them are up or one or both of them are gone. So these last decisions are going to be tough ones for the Cubs. And I think it's a better place to be. It's better than having Andleton or the ghost of Andleton Simmons, basically. And, you know, Jonathan VR at the bottom of the roster or, you know, Luis Torrens and Edwin Rios who didn't even play last year at the bottom of the roster. It's going to be interesting to see where it fills out. I, I think if it was my choice, I would hope the Cubs would sign Cody Bellinger. And again, like if, if two guys have to go, cause they still have to clear a spot for Naris and they still have to clear a spot for, they would have to clear a spot for Bellinger. There's a pretty fair chance. It's probably Rucker and Killian that go. And then you wind up with, I, I probably, you know, Mervis might get traded. Mervis might also have a good spring and push for time in the bigs as well. I think I would like to see, I'd like to see Cody Bellinger as a cub. So I'd like to see him probably slot into center field. At that point, maybe you carry five outfielders with Canario and Talkman, or maybe, you know, maybe Cody Bellinger plays more first because uh, Canario can DH too. So, you know, he doesn't have to be in the outfield necessarily. But if you, if you get Bellinger, PCA probably starts in Iowa. And then maybe you've got Michael Bush playing first base. You know, if, if they don't sign Chapman, then maybe Morrell plays third base. That lets Canario DH. If the Cubs don't sign Bellinger, but they get Chapman, then Chapman slots in at third base. Then you're almost certainly going, you know, Bush or Mervis at first, or maybe Morrell. They talked about working him in the Dominican this this winter. And then I still think you've got, then you've got a more interesting question with Canario, but you don't have Bellinger. So maybe Canario is playing center field, or maybe Canario is your fourth outfielder with Talkman playing center field. And then, you know, either Canario or Bush are, are DHing. I do think that last utility infield spot is probably either Miles Mastroboni or Luis Vasquez. I think it just makes too much sense. I don't think, I can't see the Cubs taking three catchers at this point, especially given that there aren't any more catchers on the 40 man roster. <coughs> I think that's one they'll just be happy they have the depth and look forward and, and try to figure it out. As the season goes on, you know, Brendan Davis, Pico Armstrong, Kevin Alcantara. May all push for time, but yeah, like what happens with Nick Madrigal and Patrick Wisdom? You know, it, I think it could make sense to have one of them, but not both. It's gonna be some really interesting decisions. It's gonna be really interesting to watch and see what the Cubs do in the in spring training. I still think there are more trades coming, even if it's small deals, like deal Madrigal for you know a relief pitcher or some maybe a young relief pitcher arm that's not quite on 40 man ready yet you know so you kind of open up a spot and let things happen that way there's still big rumors out there that maybe the Cubs would make a play for Dylan Cease or one of the Miami Marlins young starting pitchers I'm not sure we're going to see a deal like that but it's entirely possible but pay attention to these I, I think the Cubs are really looking at about four or five spots that are going to be really interesting as we go in, who's going to be the fifth starter? Who's going to take those last couple bullpen spots? How are the Cubs going to slot those guys? You know, whether Bellinger goes in the mix or Chapman or allotting Morrell, Wisdom, Madrigal, Michael Bush across third base, first base, DH, 
what they do in the outfield with center field, what they do with Canario and Talkman, neither of whom have options left. It's going to be interesting to, to follow, and I think who they start with on opening day I think is going to tell us a lot. And <clears throat> I'm ready. I hope you are too. Hopefully we get some news on Cody Bellinger soon. I, I'm just kind of tired of the waiting game, but at least in a couple of weeks we're going to have pitchers and catchers reporting. A lot of guys are already down at the complex, so if you – Follow like Rich Beasterfield on social media. He's putting up a lot of pictures of guys working out. Um, people are down there getting their work in, ready for the season, getting gearing up to go. So there's a lot to like, a lot to be excited about. You know, I talked, I'll make a season prediction once the roster kind of falls into place. But you know, I did an episode a few weeks ago about how I thought before they signed show to Imanaga that this was probably a 82-ish win team, which is a lot better than what they started last year. It's about... It's not really an improvement on where they finished last year, but since then they've added Shota Imanaga and they've added Hector Neris, which gives them another good, solid starting pitcher with potential upside and another back-end bullpen arm that is, should help shore up some of the issues from last year and make that group deeper. And then you add Craig Council in there. I think this is starting to look like a you know, 86, 87 win team with more potential. You start getting... If they add Cody Bellinger to the mix, you know, then maybe they start getting to that 90-91 win team. Now, of course, last year, you know, by Pythag, they had, you know, an expected wins of 91, 90-91. I can't remember exactly where it finished. So they sort of actually underperformed last year. But, uh, you know, this team is, is looking good. I think they're looking right now like they are going to be among the favorites in the Central, but it's going to be a tight division. I think St. Louis has improved. Even Pittsburgh's improved. They added Roldis Chapman. The Brewers, we'll see. They've made some additions. They picked up Reese Hoskins, who's a guy that I had liked for the Cubs to pick up. But I think that kind of, you know, wasn't going to happen once the Cubs made the Michael Bush trade. The Cardinals have added a bunch of starting pitching, so they should be improved. So it's going to be a tight division. I don't think, I would like to see the Cubs get to where they're the kind of clear projected favorite. They are not there right now. The Reds are interesting. But I think the Cubs are up there. I think the Cubs are certainly, you know, when I did the, one of the questions was how I see the Cubs projected in the division. And I had them kind of maybe a game behind the Cardinals at that point. That was before they added Naris. And that's kind of where the betting markets were too. I mean, they see the, see it as a tight division, see the Cardinals kind of on the, on the top. I'm not sure if I buy them coming all the way back like that, but they added some real legit starting pitching and their starting pitching was awful last year. So that's going to make a big difference. But I think with a couple more additions, you know, get Cody Bellinger in here or get Matt Chapman or potentially both, all of a sudden they're going to start looking like a 90-plus win team and they'll kind of be right where we wanted them to be. And <clears throat> I've continued to say it, like, I will evaluate this offseason when it's done. At this point, you know, it's looking like a solid offseason. I wouldn't call it a great one. I really like the Imanaga edition. I like the Naris edition. I have a lot of hope for the Michael Bush trade. But there's, you know, still a lot of question here. I think Cody Bellinger kind of locks it up. I think it, I would have a hard time giving this offseason anything lower than like a BB plus if they had Cody Bellinger. So, you know, we'll see where this goes next couple of weeks. But, I th you know, I think the Cubs are getting to where they need to be. I think they're going to be a competitive team this year. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, so let's see how those battles go and see how that roster shakes up. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts and share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, 
Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Blue Sky, and YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus. And check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Cubs PS Plus, to help support the show. As always, the theme music for this podcast is Prospect Park West by Jerry McCoy. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!